I made the mistake in 2020, and I, I can admit it now. Uh, I stood up here uh, where we were at that time, stood from the pulpit, and I proclaimed 2020 is our year. And, uh, and I announced this is going to be the best year we've ever had. And, uh, and that was, um, I was wrong. I was, missed it by that much. Uh, I was a little off, and it ended up being kind of the first year in the history of ever. And, uh, and so it wasn't, it wasn't good. And I, I learned my lesson, and I, I made a commitment that year, I will never do that again. And uh, I will never stand in front of you and tell you this is your year, this is the best year ever. Um, because the truth is, who knows? Uh, I don't know. And, um, and so I think I, hope is great. I love hope. Um, some amount of expectation is a wonderful thing. I think I'd rather do life in, in, in hope and faith than, than not. Um, I like believing the best. But um, at, at the end of the day, I do think living with a bit of realism is, is healthy and uh, is a good thing, and so I, I think it's more accurate to say, as we stand on this, this threshold of a new year, I, I think it's more accurate and appropriate to say, this year is going to have some really great moments, and uh, that's, I, I think that's safe to say. We're going to have some great moments in 2023. It's, there's going to be some beautiful, uh, life-changing moments that are wonderful, and uh, I think it's also as safe to say there's going to be some moments in 2023 that are awful. Uh, there's going to be some low points this year, and there's going to be some sad moments. Uh, there's going to be some difficult moments this year, and, and that's unfortunately a promise. And uh, I was, I was kind of taking some time this week um, getting ready for today, as I do, uh, and, and I, I was, I, I went back to this moment. I go back to this moment a lot, I think, um, where, and in a similar way where we've transitioned from one year into another and, and it's, it's a new day. It's a new, it's a new opportunity. It's a new, it's a new, um, a new year facing us. Uh, there was a transition moment in the life of the disciples who were following Jesus. And, uh, and we read about the last evening they spent together, uh, and, and they, they transitioned from this time where it's like, hey, uh, we've been doing ministry together for three years, learning from Jesus, living around Jesus, doing what Jesus does and instructed us to do, and uh, we're just kind of following his lead, and uh, we can trust him. He, he's leading us into some uncharted territory, but it's good because Jesus is with us. And then Jesus tells them, guys, I'm not going to continue the journey with you. You're going to have to go it alone. And uh, you're going to have to go this without me, which was a major game changer for them, I assure you. And, uh, and in that moment uh, where Jesus is, is allowing them to understand that life going forward is going to be without him physically with them. But uh, in that moment, in that time together, is very careful to encourage them with this statement. 
He says, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but you can take heart because I've overcome the world. It's a, it's a promise. Uh, in the same way that we're, we're proclaiming uh, 2023 is going to have some trouble, it's uh, quoting Jesus. This world is going to offer you trouble. It's going to offer you difficulty. It's going to present you challenges. And, uh, and he promised his disciples that. I love, I love the fact that at the same time, he emphasizes two very important things. He's asking them to focus on two things at once, which we can do occasionally. Um, he said, recognize and acknowledge the trouble. Don't ignore it. He, 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 he states it. In this world, you will have trouble. See it. Acknowledge it, recognize it, admit it, own it. It's going to happen. I think Christians historically have been guilty of putting their heads in the sand uh, and just we, we, we name it and claim it and blab it and grab it. And we're like, uh, I remember this, not to incriminate my mom, but I remember she used to say all the time, uh, we had different theology growing up than we do now, uh, but she'd say all the time, Chris, don't speak that into existence. And, it, and suddenly I felt very powerful. So I, I, I was scared to say negative. But uh, Jesus himself is saying, ah, no, I mean, let's, let's be honest. This, this whole journey is going to be bumpy. And uh, there will be trouble. So at the same time, he, he says, acknowledge, recognize your own trouble. But at the same time, same sentence, he, he asks us to recognize and acknowledge his finished work. So he says, in this world you have trouble, same time, same sentence, he says, but take heart, I've overcome all of this. And he overcomes all of this, has overcome all of this through his finished work and his perfect sacrifice. And so he is, he is saying that to us today, that yes, in this world you have trouble, but take heart, which means to have courage, have courage because um, he's overcome this. The courage, the taking of heart that he is mentioning has nothing to do with what we can do, what we have done, or what we will do. In fact, he's, he, he says, you have trouble, but take heart, and then he shifts the focus because of what I've done. Because of what I've done for you. Don't take heart because you're confident and you're smart and you're strong because the truth is you're not. And, and as much as we like to believe we're strong, we're capable, we're competent, we're together, we're driven, we're go-getters, we're get-it-done inspirational types of people, um, the truth is we're not. Um, Paul himself said that I, the only thing I've learned to boast in is my weakness because that's all I got. Um, I'm weak. And I, uh, yeah, I have moments, shining moments that seem like, oh yeah, you're doing great. Well, uh, eventually, for everyone, the poo-poo hits the oscillating fan and it's, it gets ugly. So Jesus is saying, shift your focus. Yes, you have trouble. Acknowledge it. Own it. But uh, take heart because I've overcome all of this. Um, I want to shift our focus over to 
a, uh, a, we just celebrated Christmas and everything. There's a lot of family, family stuff. Uh, I want to shift our focus over to uh, Jesus' family. Now, uh, in a figurative sense, of course, is the, the disciples were, were his family. And uh, in, in fact, he, he asks John to look after his mom. He, um, is brother like a brother with Jesus, and so, but Jesus, he actually had a a half brother, and uh, his half brother, his name was James, uh, old Jimmy. Uh, James, of course, is the author of the book of James, and uh, he goes on to be a, a champion to a group of Jewish Christians, and he is, uh, he is helping guide them through a very difficult season of time after the passing of Christ and in this new faith that they are trying to live out, and they are losing everything. And so he is, he's basically pastoring a group of people outside of Jerusalem who are Messianic Jews, who are going through torture. And I don't use that word lightly, the actual torture. They are being persecuted, they're being killed, they're being, uh, they're being tormented, they are having a very difficult season of life. And, uh, and so the book of James is tragic, and uh, it's direct. Uh, James has no filter, if you'll notice, uh, and it's a, it, it can be a controversial book because it feels very direct and very, it kind of hits you between the eyes, and so um, the book is potent, it's powerful. But then you remember who he's speaking to. This is a desperate situation for people who are, who are uh, trying to... The people are dragging them back under the law. And if they're not going to agree with the law, then they're going to be, uh, they're, they're going to be tormented. They're going to be tortured. And so Jesus' half-brother, James, he opens his letter, his book, uh, the, the book of James, in chapter uh, 1... Looking at verse two through four, and we'll look at this very these words for the next couple of weeks in our new series this year. But uh, he 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 opens it up like this: I want you to consider it all joy, my brethren, my family, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This, uh, this statement is quotable. It's, it's been heard. It's, it's well known. But it's not exactly um, an exciting verse. In fact, I would say this is one of my least favorite verses in the Bible. Uh, James has probably three or four of my top ten least statements in all of the Bible. And, and this, this kind of statement, it, it's almost like he's a glutton for punishment. Consider it joy. Now that word, we don't throw that around lightly, right? Joy is a, it's a big, powerful word. Like, I, it's not like I'm just happy, I'm doing okay, I'm having a pretty good day. Joy is a big, it's three letters, but it's a big word. And he's saying, consider it all joy, like elation, like this is awesome. When you face various trials, when you're going through tough stuff, make sure that you are looking at it the right way through the right lens 
as something that is joyful. That is so messed up. This guy, he's got a screw loose. Uh, That is not how my brain works. I know that's not how your brain works. Uh, We don't look at as we don't look at troubles as a positive. When Jesus um, promised troubles, and uh, and when Jesus encourages people to take heart in spite of the troubles, that sounds okay to me. Like what it means is have courage, take heart. Well, here James goes even further and says, actually experience joy. It's, it's a positive thing. And, and not because the troubles themselves are a good thing, he's pretty clear. He's saying that the, the result of the troubles are worth celebrating. In other words, troubles are bad, but what they produce in us is worth celebrating and worth being excited about. I, it, maybe that softens it a little bit, but still, just, I'm, I'm trying my best to be with you, James, but uh, you lost me. Troubles, trials, difficulties, struggles, James is saying they present an opportunity that we wouldn't have otherwise. It, they present something that um, when everything's going according to plan, you don't get to take part in, to experience. It's only in the tough stuff that, and this is the way he puts it, it's only through the tough stuff that our faith is tested. And our faith being tested is a good thing because when our faith actually is tested or, or even exercised, then it, we have the potential of producing something of a result of that testing of our faith being something that he refers to as endurance. You acquire endurance only through the testing of your faith. Faith is a, um, a simple idea until you need it. Faith is a great philosophy. It's a great Christian word. It's a great Christian concept. You're forced into a place where you actually need to use it. Then it's, it is the worst idea I can imagine. Faith is at the other end of the spectrum of control, which I hate. Because control thing that I am extremely addicted to. I love being in control. I hate not being in control. It drives me batty. I despise it. So faith is something that I, as a believer, as a pastor, I will say to you before, um, before God and everybody, all these witnesses, I will proclaim to you even though I preach the gospel of grace, that we are saved by grace through faith, I don't like living by faith. I don't enjoy it. It doesn't make me happy necessarily because it's scary, it's difficult, but honestly, there's no other way to do life. That's, it's kind of like, do, does anyone really enjoy eating their vegetables? I mean, maybe 
here in the South, we, we put a whole tub of country crock in, uh, in our green beans, and that's great. But, but just straight up, speaking, eating in a healthy way is way less eating the stuff that we actually want to eat. But you know you've got to eat the good stuff, right? Faith is the good stuff. And uh, it's not, it's, I, what I have is the junk food of control, the junk food of making this whole life about myself, but that doesn't carry me anywhere. In fact, you, you live with the ramifications and the repercussions of that, and it's not a positive. But when you live by faith, and then as you live by faith, as your faith is tested by hardship and difficulty to where you're out on a limb and you have no other option but to trust God, and that faith is proven and tested and exercised, then something develops within us that is called endurance. We begin to develop this quality that is endurance. It's a quality that is invaluable, that I don't hear enough Christians talk about, that I don't hear um, emphasized nearly as much as it should be. But um, I, I had the opportunity, I was, I was um, speaking to a new friend, uh, this is about a month ago or so. I don't even think it was that long ago. Three or four weeks. And uh, she was telling me the story. I just asked her, I said, tell me about your journey. And she was telling me about these, these um, experiences that she had had in the last couple of years. And I'm listening to her talk, and I'm like, how in the world do you get through something like that? How in the world do you get through that smiling and pleasant. She was a joy to be around. And, uh, and I was like, how do, you do, how do you not turn into a bitter, angry, resentful person? Because she hadn't. And uh, we were talking, and, and I had this message brewing in me uh, months ago. And, uh, and I, I come across this word that had been bouncing around my heart in my mind for months, and, and I kind of settled there. I was like, I think we need to talk about this quality, and, and I'm sitting across the table from this, this lady, and, and she said, Chris, my son asked me one day, Mom, if you were to sum up life in a word, what word would you use? And she said, I told him the word I would choose is endurance. It requires endurance. And, uh, and I, I, I couldn't believe it. I said, it's so funny you, you say that because th- that's a word that's been echoing in my heart for, for months and, uh, and it, it, it confirms something in me. I was like, this is something that we, we need to approach as a family, as a community. It's something that we need to talk about. And, and, and I thought leading into a new year, this is a good time to talk about it. And, uh, and we, again, we don't know what New Year holds, but I, I, I can promise you that at some point, endurance is going to be necessary. And, and what is endurance? Just to give it kind of a layman's definition, it's to not quit. To not throw in the towel. And uh, uh, the, the Apostle Paul makes this statement to the church in Ephesus. Uh, he, he says, hey, um, having done 
everything you can to stand, stand. Having done all you, all you can do to stand, stand. Uh, that's endurance. To, to stand, to stay, to remain, to not quit, to not give up, to not throw in the towel, to, to keep going. And uh, I, I went to the, my, my Bible, I've got a, um, a parallel Bible. So um, on one side of the page is the New American Standard Translation, which is usually I use Sundays in case you're curious. On the other side is the message translation of the Bible, which is beautiful and just very poetic and um, very emotional. And I, I like that too. And so I, a lot of times I'll kind of jump around and, and, and see what it says in the, in the message translation. Um, verses that we just read. James, I read in the message translation again this week, and uh, it stood out to me. I thought I'd share it with you. Um, this is how the author's Eugene Peterson, this is how he puts it. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith, your faith life is forced into the open, and it shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. I I love the sentence, don't try to get out of anything prematurely. I, I don't think that we fully understand how much we try to get out of things prematurely. I, I think we underestimate how often we do that. Uh, this is a world that is bent on instant gratification. It is, um, it is a world that is resistant to challenges, hardships, struggles of any kind. This is a world that has little to no commitment or resolve. To commit to something is not a commitment. It is a temporary agreement to say, I'll be in this until it gets tough, and then I'm gone. There is a, there is a social, cultural pressure to avoid struggle, to avoid difficulty, to avoid accountability, to avoid anything that, that is difficult, that is tough. When the going gets tough, we Google easier options. That's where we are. And, and I'm not saying that as a slap on the hand. I'm saying as a truth. I am speaking truth. And the chief sinner as it relates to this is moi. When uh, my... my uh, navigation thing, my little, my Google Maps shows me, hey, you get the red line, right? There's traffic up there and it's adding to your travel time 27 minutes. I would rather drive 30 minutes out of the way and keep moving because I hate resistance. I hate traffic. I hate struggle. I don't like things getting tough. I don't like when things aren't easy. There's something in our brains, and and this 
we pick this up along the way. And this is something, and I'll, I'll talk about parenting a little bit throughout this series. Um, there's something that we just we catch as children that when you have a plan, and the plan plan doesn't doesn't continue as it should, we see the stop sign or the resistance as then the, pr- the plan is bad, this is the wrong direction, let's not do this. But that is not at all the case. In, in fact, if we're talking about strength, and a lot of us make New Year's resolutions, which I do as well, uh, a lot of re- resolutions center around health and personal health and fitness and all that. Uh, gym memberships are through the roof right now. Now, gym participation come June uh, drops significantly because we have the best of intentions. But to, in order to get stronger, strength requires resistance. Uh, if you watch old sci-fi movies, you'll hear the phrase, resistance is fruitful. I would say resistance is fruitful. And that's kind of what James is getting at. The, the testing of our faith, the exercise of faith is when your faith meets resistance and yet you stick on the side of faith and say, I'm staying with it. Then there's a strengthening that comes as our faith is tested in resistance. Let me, let me dispel a, a rumor and, and, and I don't even know if this is a, a said, spoken rumor, but uh, it, is, it is caught, it is believed, it is a thought that's shared by most. God works within our comfort zones. That could not be further from the truth. That is absolutely backwards. In fact, I would say God rarely works within our comfort zones. God, if it doesn't require faith, then it doesn't require God. This is just, and this is, I know this, for some people it is like, this is basic stuff. Well, maybe we need to return to the basics because we forget this. We, we honestly think that God is going to move into our comfort zone and do miraculous things there. And that comfort zone requires no faith whatsoever. Now, there, there's a million reasons to avoid tough stuff. Not the least of which is tough stuff is uncomfortable and we have to move outside of our comfort zone. No one likes doing that. Uh, tough stuff is scary. Fear. We're confronted by fear. Um, I am a, I'm an introvert. And uh, you may not have picked up on that, um, but I am an introvert. Now, probably, I'm not going to make you raise your hands because introverts hate when I make them raise their hands. Um, introverts probably make up the lion's share of the people in this room in our church. I would say the vast majority of our church are introverts. All that means 
is that social interaction costs us something. There's a tab at the end of social interaction. Now, extroverts, there is a cost to being alone. There's a cost to not being social. There's a, there's a tab at the end of that. So one of, the, one of those two things depletes you. One of those two things energize you. For me, social interaction depletes me. It costs me something. Um, when my daughter was very, very young, she got birthday money. And she had a lot of money. And I was like, how do you have this much money? And I'm like, it is time for you to pay me back for all the money that you've taken that is mine. And my daughter was really, it was a phenomenon as most things are in childhood. It was a phenomenon for about three and a half minutes. But squishy things was the rage. And she found online a big squishy strawberry that was scented like strawberry. It was $40. And she was insane. This is what I want to spend my money on. A $40 strawberry. I turned to my wife and I said, absolutely no. I'm putting my foot down. I am your father. It will be over my dead body you buy. You spend $40 on a squishy strawberry. I'm trying to teach a five-year-old the, 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 the value of finances and money and the cost of goods and all this stuff. My wife's like, Chris, she's five. And I was like, whatever. Uh, it, she got it. She enjoyed it for exactly three and a half minutes. And then the squishy strawberry, the $40 squishy strawberry, ended up at a Goodwill somewhere. Because it just was irrelevant, didn't matter. Would my daughter today spend $40 on a squishy strawberry? Absolutely not. In fact, my daughter is way more frugal than I am now. She, she learned from me. I think I raised her correctly, and uh, I think she learned. But uh, she's now she saves her money. In fact, the vast majority of the time, if she spends her money, and I'll brag on my daughter, she's spending it for someone else. She's spending it on someone else. I, I had the best birthday this year. My daughter bought me multiple gifts, which I'm not used to, none of which were a squishy strawberry. She didn't regift it. But uh, the value system changed. Now, um, for us to, to engage in uncomfortable situations, I'm going to give some language here that I think is worth using and exercising. The, the, the priority has to outweigh the, the resistance or the uncomfortability. If the priority doesn't outweigh the, the, the resistance or the difficulty, then we're not going to do that thing because it's not worth the uncomfortable feelings being stretched it's not worth the resistance I feel in doing it. So the property... It's got to be worth the payment. 
So for us socially, folks that have resistance to being engaged socially, us introverts, the payoff has to be worth the challenge. It has to be worth being uncomfortable for us to do it. We have to see the value system from God's point of view, not just from our own. In other words, the worst thing in the world is not being uncomfortable. The worst thing in the world is not being stretched. In fact, if I were to quote the Bible, those are positive things because there is a resolve in me that is growing as I challenge myself and endure through them. Um, I want to kind of use this example, and wrap up here in a moment, but uh, I want to use this as an example. Now, that, this is not the end-all, be-all by any means, but I thought this was appropriate, and it's a great example, it's a clear example that you find in the book of Galatians. If you, if you turn to Galatians chapter 6, um, the book of Galatians, powerful book, one, probably my favorite book of the Bible, and the Apostle Paul is, is, is speaking to new believers who are, are, are being pressured to step under the law and basically become Jewish as opposed to living by faith. So the, 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 the pressure that they're under, this community of young Christians, is to walk not by faith, but to walk in their own capability of keeping the religious rules, regulations, and rituals. So, the Apostle Paul is encouraging them, guys, don't go there. It's empty, it's void, it's lifeless, it is destructive, it's not good for you. So, he encourages them with this statement in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Let us, and he's including himself, let us not lose heart or, or get discouraged or give up in doing good, doing what's right, doing what we're supposed to be doing. In due time, we will reap if we don't grow weary. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those in the family of faith. What is Paul getting at here? He's echoing the idea of endurance. He's reminding us that endurance pays off. That there is, there, the outcome is way better than the cost. Than the sacrifice. The resistance we feel to doing this is smaller than the reward in doing it. And the thing that he's talking about specifically, he says doing good. And he, he's not just generally saying doing good in a, in, in a very generic sense. He's saying, he gets specific. He says doing good for others, especially within the community of faith, the family of faith where God has connected you. So he's saying endure even when it's uncomfortable, keep going, don't quit, as it relates 
to our personal in the family of faith. Endurance means keep going even when it's difficult to keep going. To keep going even when it's difficult to keep going. And he's saying, guys, I'm not going to lie to you. Community is tough. Family is difficult. A commitment to this is not easy. He's bringing this up because he knows this isn't easy. Now, where we, where we face challenges such as schedule and energy levels and social anxiety and fear and, and, and uh, a lack of desire to commit to uh, being transparent or, or in, in, you know, open and honest with people and letting people engage in our lives it can be tough because we have personal lives and everybody mind their business. That's our challenge. The challenge of the communities talking to is a little bit more dramatic than that. And especially the community that, that James is talking to as far as endurance is going is, is, guys, keep going even though you're being persecuted and beaten. You're being, you're being tormented by people oppressing you for what you believe. Our version of that is, I got a lot going on. <laughs> My schedule's kind of full right now. Either way, it's all subjective, either way, the Apostle Paul is saying it's worth committing to enduring through that and not quitting on it. Um, I'm very, very thankful for parents who were unrelenting with our connection and commitment to the local church. I didn't always celebrate that decision. It wasn't always my favorite commitment. But I remember I got my first job. I sat down for an interview in my first job, and my mom said, Chris, you make sure to tell them you don't work on Sundays, you don't work on Wednesday nights. End of story, no exceptions. And I was embarrassed. Because, again, I'm an introvert, I'm shy, I don't like ruffling feathers, I don't like rocking the boat. But I had to stand there because I feared my mom more than I feared my, this new boss. I said, sir, I'm happy to work and I will work hard. And I got promoted and I got raises and I was, before you know it, I was the star pupil. But I was I, unrelenting. I will not work Sundays. I will not work Wednesday nights. Period. My, my parents made a commitment that we're going to be in church together. Uh, now, I know there's... Again, I'm going to bring up parenting. There's something that's um, been uh, spread in our culture that's, hey, you want your kids to want to go to church. You never want to make them. You make them go to school. You make them go to the doctor. You make them go to the dentist. Not, Not because they enjoy those things, but because they're good for them. Why being in the family of faith is lesser than those commitments, I don't know. Because here's the endure that. If you're going to endure anything, endure that. Commit to that. And, and again, I'm very thankful because the only thing that kept me being absolutely off the deep end was Something in me 
that was forged as we endured through that together. There's something that galvanizes within us when we don't quit on it, when it's, when it's not something that we're excited to do or happy to do. I'm, I've never been excited to go to the doctor in my life. I'm worried about people who are excited to go to the doctor. I don't trust them. I don't want to be your friend. You're like, oh, yay, the dentist. I want nothing to do with you. But it's a good thing. It's a similar thing, and, and, and I would even say way, 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 way more important to commit to a community where we're, we're being moved outside of ourselves. The, re, the reason endurance is so tough is because it fights every ounce of selfishness that we have, and we've got a lot. It's, I knew that... Um, this conversation was going to be difficult as we continue through it and, um, and talk about it. And I, I knew it was going to be difficult because going through tough stuff is difficult. It's, it's hard enough by, by itself. But considering committing to a process and removing the exit doors... It, it's extre- it gets claustrophobic, if I'm being real. To say that I'm in it through thick and through thin, that's a lot. That's a big commitment. Renting a house and buying a house, two very, very different things. Buying a house feels permanent. Dating and is extremely different from marrying that person. And maybe that's why far less people are getting married, if we're honest. Because it's very difficult to commit to something that is beyond just me. If you dig through the Gospel and you catch the heart and the mission of Jesus, it looks nothing like individualistic, self-made Christianity in the way that we've made it in our image. It looks a lot like my life for you. In fact, Jesus says, I'm going to show you what the whole thing's about, and then he died for people that hated him. The life of Christ is a life of my life for you. And to give ourselves to that requires... A lot of endurance. But I'm going to close here. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to close with why that's important and, and what's in it for us. So, so James encourages us to allow endurance, the endurance that the testing of our faith produces, to have its perfect result in us. The phrase perfect result, it speaks to let reach its conclusion. Let it reach its outcome uninterrupted. Don't, don't interrupt it. Don't quit on it. Um, th- there's a lot of analogies and allegories in the Bible about farming. And to use one of those, endurance would be you bury the seed and then you trust that it's doing its thing. 
But in our culture, what we would rather do is bury the seed, dig it up, see what it's doing, put it back. Wait two weeks, dig it up, how's it doing, put it back. Because we want control, we want involvement, we want to be in there, and so faith is difficult. But endurance is saying, I'm trusting the process. That God is doing His thing. So he says, let, let endurance have its perfect result. Let it reach its conclusion. Let it, let it do its thing. And then he goes on to say, so that you may be perfect. So that you may be perfect. Now the word perfect there is complete and lacking nothing. To be perfect here, the conversation is to be complete and lacking nothing. So, what he's getting at and what we are being taught in the new season is that there's a process to becoming fully you. process to you becoming fully who it is that God crafted you to be. And it, it is not the process that the world shouts at us that is a process of get out of my way, I do me, you do you, I'm going to make my life worth living. Not it. It's a process that requires a supernatural grace and resolved to a resolve to throw in the towel and not quit on God doing what God does in and through us. He's begun a good work. He's faithful to complete it. He's going to work things out within us in all He asks of us. In the same evening that He tells His disciples, you're going to have trouble, take heart, I've overcome it. In that same evening, He says, guys, I'm asking you to do something and over and over and over. He uses the same verb over and over and over. He says, guys, I want you to abide in Me. That is to say, stay with Me. Stay connected. And He speaks to a typical that we all have. He says, guys, you're going to want to be sticks. You're going to want to be independent agents. I want to let you know how that works out. Apart from Me, disconnected from Me, you can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. But he says, if you abide in me, if you are connected and grafted with me, us together in the vine, we will bear much fruit. We will become, we will become the who it is that we're meant to be, and that is someone who benefits the people in the world around them. God didn't create you to have a happy life. He's going to give you a beautiful life that extends way beyond this temporary existence. But He created us on purpose to do for others. To make a difference. To make this world a more beautiful place to represent the kingdom of God on the planet. Your will be done. Your kingdom come in us here on earth as it is in heaven. 
He works through us. But it is not simple. It is not easy. It is not for the faint of heart. I will never pretend to say that Christianity is for the faint of heart because it is not. It requires endurance. That yes, there's going to be times where it feels like we're, we're rolling downhill and this is cooking and we're, we're feeling We feel like getting up and going to church. We feel like going to family groups. We feel like being engaged. And then you're going to hit a season of time where you're like, I don't feel it right now. But endurance says, I know it's tough, but it's worth it. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Endure. You make a commitment to endure before you need to start enduring. You make a commitment to say, I, th- things are good right now, but I know they're not always going to be. When you, when you get married, when I got married 21 years ago, I stood at an altar with my wife, and I made a commitment before God and everyone there that through bad times, good times, ups, downs, I'm in it. I'm not bailing. I'm committed. I'm engaged. It's a covenant. The covenant that Jesus made with us was I'm going to open the door for you with my own blood. I'm going to die so that you can live. And all that He asked in return, John 3.16, whoever believes, faith, stays connected to Him through good and bad. And yes, my wife and I disagree on some things occasionally. But it's okay because we, we're in it together. And yes, I fuss at God sometimes. And I'm not afraid to admit prayers are a little fussy. And I, I, I let God have it. I think it's good for the soul. But we're in it together. And I know He's never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. He's faithful to begun the, the work that's begun in me. He's faithful to complete it. And I'm going to him every step of the way.